Happy Father's Day. Okay, there we go, there we go. It's amazing to me when I think of Father's Day. I was talking with my dad this week, and I had sent him a note, just some things that God had put on my heart. And one of the things I mentioned to him in the letter was we have our parenting home group that we're doing and hearing the testimonies of people and and the common denominator. When I meet with Darren at Adult and Teen Challenge next door, the common denominator is every time, dad. And it was either dad was physically there but completely absent or dad was completely absent. And it's incredible how impactful. When you look at Scripture, to be honest, when you look at Scripture, and I've studied through the Bible many times, I have not found one verse that tells mothers what to do as a parent. There are only verses that tell the fathers what to do, and the fathers are the only ones held accountable in in that case. Now, mothers are obviously under that same authority, but you see verses in here that say fathers, 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 fathers. And then you see verses that say mothers, when your son is this, then the home is benefited. The call is to dads. So I want to do two things. I want to have every dad or granddad stand up, and I want to pray because it's, it's not an easy call, and it's not an option. Our kids in this next generation depend on it. So let me go ahead and, and pray over you all, and then I've got just a short video I want to show. God, you are our example. And Lord, I pray that you would Fill us with a passion and a desire, Lord, whether we're a father or a grandfather, Lord. I pray that every one of these men in here would be absolutely driven to be the man to our children and grandchildren that you are to us, God. And Lord, when we fall, would you lift us up and encourage us? When we don't know what to do, God, give us wisdom that surpasses what our brains could do. And Lord, when things go well, help us not to point at us, but to point at you. Lord, convict us to to have that passion for your scriptures, to share them with our kids and our grandkids and honor their mother. Lord, may our words and our tongue be used to encourage and lift up and not tear down. We thank you, God, for being our example. We ask for your power and your strength as fathers. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give these dads a hand. I'm, pr- I'm proud of, of the fact that we've got a bunch of dads here. It's good to see. It's good to see men in church. Uh, in fact, most of the time, uh, the reason that churches begin to fall and fail is because the men are not present and the men are not serving. A church that's run completely by women is not a woman problem. It's a man not stepping up problem. And so I'm glad to see the men here. I'm glad to see men serving and greeting and working next door and helping cleaning and, and just all the different things that happen here. It's awesome how God uses that. Let me just share just a short video uh, with a little bit of my heart as a dad. Oh, I love that. Happy Father's Day. I've got all kinds of good jokes like that. So I I, I do want to share real quick. So you know at the end of summer, um, you haven't used a lot of the lights. You haven't used your flashlights. You haven't used any of your electricity. You know, you're lighted electronics a lot. And so what we do at the end of the year, and fire uh, alarms and, and smoke alarms and everything, we go through and we grab all the batteries and, and anything that's dead, and we take them and we gather them all in a box. And this past year, this past fall, we were getting ready to throw them away. And 
I said, no, 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 wait, wait a second. Let's not throw them away. Let's just give them away free of charge. There's groaning, so you know. Don't worry, I'll come forward in the altar call today, all right? Turn to Colossians chapter 3. The title for today's teaching, are you ready for it? Take it all off. That's the title for today's teaching. And, and the reason for that we'll obviously get into. But here's some things to think about as we get into the teaching. I, want some, I have some questions. Let's say you've been working outside, uh, you're covered in, in grass clippings and, and dirt, or if you have chickens, there's all kinds of other gifts on your clothes, and you come inside. If you're getting ready to go on a date with your spouse, or you're getting ready to go do something with someone, you don't just simply pull on your, your button-up shirt over that and pull on some, some pants and, and put on your shoes over your shoes. No, you first take off the old junk, and then you put on the new stuff. And it's the same thing, for example, if, if someone's a dentist and, or, or actually, you know, if someone works on uh, concrete and, and is a mason and, and does fitting of rocks and uses a, a rock hammer and chisel and grinder and things like that, and, and then they move into dentistry. You don't want them using the same tools, right? You have to put down the old tools and pick up the new tools. It would be a bad situation if, if a mason decided to use the same tools on their poor patients as a dentist. And it's the same way with us as, as Christians, and Paul's going into that in the book of Colossians. And he, and he gives us some things to think about. He starts and, and really starts kind of at the, at the bottom and starts working up. He starts on the inside and starts working out. And it's hard because it's easy for us as, as Christians, really I should say as humans, to try and clean up the outside, and hopefully it affects the inside. This has been the whole theme of the past few weeks, is we can't sit here and, and scrub and scrub and scrub and get rid of heartburn. It's not going to happen. We have a problem on the inside that needs to be fixed. So as we go through Colossians, we're in verse 1 of chapter 3. We're going to start building up a series of, of, of thoughts related to why, why the topic or why the, the title is Take It All Off. So chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. We'll read a couple verses and then dig into them. If then you were raised with Christ, actually before we read that, let, let's go back to chapter 2 and remember the, the, the teaching, you're dead to me, where we, where we cut off that old man, that old woman, where we, were, we buried that, we're, we're dead to that of our old man, and then we're raised with Christ. That's the only reason we are able to have life. Without Christ, there is no resurrection. It's not happening. We're stuck. It's over. So if, and, and this is conditional because if we're not raised with Christ, then this, none of this applies. Now, it can apply. So he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Not casually run into them if you can. Not, well, if you happen to see it, go for it. Not Get to it if you, if you feel like it. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. How many of us, when we tell one of our kids or we tell a coworker or whatever, hey, take that, that thing over there and, and set it over there. How many of us actually have that happen every time the way we want? 
None of us do. Especially with our kids. Take this and put it there. Okay, why, why is the yogurt in the freezer? Why, why did you put the bread into you know, the refrigerator? Why did you put the bananas and the hot dog buns underneath the cans of beans and the groceries? We, 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 when we set something somewhere, it's, it's usually intentional. We make a decision to do it. So we're told here to set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? And it's a logical statement. It's a logical conclusion. For you died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. And if Christ is in heaven, and the heavenly things are what's on his focus, and we're in him, what should our, be our focus? It's, it's very much like, well, I wasn't nice, but when my, my wonderful wife had moved from a beautiful state of Virginia to Florida, which she thought, you know, Florida and then like just a tick mark below was hell. And for the longest time, even when we first started dating, again, I, I didn't do this right, so this is how not to do it, by the way, guys. Um, I would get so frustrated. I'm like, yeah, but you're here. So you can have a bad attitude about it. You can have a hissy fit about it. You can be a spoiled brat about it. But you are here. So why not be here, be all here, and stop thinking about where you're not? That's, that's not the way to make your girlfriend or fiancé fall in love with you. But she still did, sucker. So I, I won. If we're constantly toying with the idea of where we've been, or we've never let go of where we've been, or we're always thinking of where we could be, rather than where God has told us we should be, rather than where we are, we're we're missing out on what God has for us, completely. I remember having conversation after conversation after conversation with people, grow where you're planted, grow where you're planted. Well, what about this next phase that I'm thinking about? What about this next thing that I'm considering? Where are we at now. Paul's saying the same thing. You've got to realize and get it into your head, Colossians. You're not you anymore. You're in Christ. So things have changed. Things are different. Things are going to be different. He says, for you died, and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ then, is another way that it's, it's translated, then when Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. If that's where we are, that's what our hope is, that's what our end is, not our own glory, not our own motivation, not our own thing that we want to do. Here's the first foundation repair I want us to think about. Remember, that's our series title for Colossians. Here's the the big deal here. We need to choose to be consumed with the eternal weight of things, not the short-term things. There is an eternal weight to so much in our life that we choose to look past we choose to look past situations, and instead of looking at that, that, that depth to what that is, it's, it's hard to drive by and see. You'll look at the late nights over uh, in the summertime at the pavilion at Wasilla Lake, the park there, Newcomb Park, and you have all the little carts wheeled up to there. And I've been over there a couple different times, and I don't, I don't think I've ever been there where anybody has been lucid. They've been high on something. Now, the, the temporal side of us looks at it and goes, like, what, what, what is your problem? What is going on? Why are you doing this? You guys are, are, are wasting your life. You're sucking the system dry. You're, you're, you're leaving your needles everywhere all over the place. You're, you're trashing these different things. The, the temporal view of all of that is that, and that's the truth, and it's frustrating. 
But what's the eternal view? What's the real eternal weight of what's going on there? What is it that got them there? Can I be a solution to help it not happen anymore? There's an eternal weight to things that go on in our life that we easily just ignore. But we're not designed that way now that we're in Christ. He gives us that visibility, that passion, that conviction if we allow the Spirit to work. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a prayer that I would challenge everyone to pray with, and that is break my heart, God, for what breaks yours. Take, take my eyes and let me see what you see, God. And I remember the first time I prayed that, I couldn't even order my Big Mac at McDonald's after I prayed it because every person I saw, single mother, has no idea what's happening when she gets home because she can't get rid of this boyfriend who's been abusing her, not going to heaven, all these different people. And all I could see was not going to heaven, not mine, not mine, not mine, not mine. That's hard. And every day should be hard like that for us because that's what our Savior wants us to be motivated by. That's what he wants us to be motivated by. And that's what he wants our focus to be. Romans 13, 14, it's not on the screen. He, he, it, kind of Joe's paraphrase. He says this, instead, instead of getting caught up in this, this lifestyle of meeting our own pleasures and desires, this hedonistic focus, live like the Lord Jesus Christ did. Stop trying to figure out more ways to indulge our desires. We are good at that. We are. Man, Palmer is excited. They're getting a Taco Bell. But they're in a place there that I could say, you know what, here's a church I recommend you go to there. I have people calling going, hey, are you going to have a rise in Palmer? But we're excited about a Taco Bell? Trust me, ain't nothing heaven about Taco Bell after five minutes. We all know that. If you don't, listen to the Easter service. We talked about it. Special toilet paper. Here's three things I want us to think about. When we think about setting our mind on things above, when we think about are we focused on the things that Christ is focused on, is his, his mission our mission, is what breaks his heart what breaks mine. Here is three things I want us to think about. Number one, we need to choose to focus on God's desires. It's a choice. It's a weird balance because on one hand, you say, well, Pastor Joe, you said that I shouldn't worry about trying to affect the physical and, and, and thinking it's going to make my spiritual life change. God gave us a mind to choose. Do we allow his, him to work in us, or do we, are we the ones who make the call? This choice is, God, what do you want? What, what, what does he really want? Do we choose, I'm going to focus on God's desires? And I did this in a specific order because the next point is this. We need to seek to know God's desire. Here's the thing. Don't seek unless you want to find. And that's why Scripture says, seek, and when you seek with your whole heart, you will find. Set out and say, you know what? If I find it, I'm doing it. And then we go and look for it. Because there's a difference between being a critic and being critical. A critic says, I'm not sure about it, but I'm going to keep investigating and find out what's really going on. Being critical says, I don't like this, so I'm going to find out all the things I can, and it doesn't matter what the truth is because I'm still going to stand on this thing here because that's what I like. It's very different. So the first thing is we need to choose. I want to focus on God's desires. I want to set my mind on things above. And the next part is I want to seek to know those things. Do we all know God's desires? 
No, we forget them. And don't get caught up in the foolishness of, well, I don't know what to do. I just want to know what God's will is for my life. We will never stop trying to obey just the written, already written down will of God. We don't have to worry about, well, God's specific will. Does he want me to stand on my head? Does he want me to order two patties or one? God doesn't care. He wants us to be focused on obeying him. And he's already written down so much. This is my will for you. This is my will for you. This is my will for you. Are we obeying what he's already told us? I'm not. I'm struggling. So we need to seek to know God's desires. Here's, here's the next part that is huge. And it, if we don't do this, then number one and two are useless. It's do the things God desires when he shows us. If God has showed us something, are we obeying? Because there's several ways to respond wrongly when God shows us an answer to really what we've been seeking, when he shows us an answer to us focusing on his desires. Some of us go the holy route. Is this from you, God? I'm going to pray about it. We pray far too little about things that really matter and far too much about things that are already an answer. We do. I remember... <laughs> talking to someone, it was about a year ago, and I'm sharing my heart and concerns and some things we need at the church, and, and they're looking, looking at me, smiling, and, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, oh, yeah, it's really hard. They're doing nothing at the moment. They have a very free and open schedule. They're sharing with me these different things of what their heart is, and I say, wow, that matches my heart. And then we're done with the conversation. They go, Pastor, I'm going to pray. And, and I just wanted to take the whole table and just go, I just answered it. It was God speaking. You said you had these desires that God put on your heart. I said, here's what matches. And then you said, I'm, I'm going to ask God again. Is he big enough to stop us if it's the wrong direction on something like that? He absolutely is. God doesn't use rainbows and horns and unicorns running through our yard with little banners hanging off their butt to speak to us. He uses other people. He uses his scriptures. He uses uh, God cadence, as the Morgans say. There's so many things that God uses. And we put him into some mystical category, and he's already spoken to us. So we need to learn to look. When, when, when God has spoken to us and his desires are exposed, what are we doing with that? What are we doing with that? Here's the thing I want us to think about. Two points before we kind of change gears. True relationship with Christ. Real evidence of a relationship. It's, it's increasing with the life that's centered first on making him happy, not ourselves. He and his glory, his happiness is number one. Now, you'll, you'll recognize that model because it's carried over into marriage. That the spouse is the one that we seek their blessings, their honor, their happiness first before ours. Because we get that model from God. We get that model from our relationship with God. That's why I always say, I've never had a discussion with people who are having a struggle with marriage that go, you know what? I've never been more on fire, more close to my Savior, more in love with Jesus, but this person, this woman, this man, I want to kill them. Never happened. Never. 
I've never had a conversation with people who are struggling with parenting or struggling with things in their job who say, my, my prayer life is alive. I mean, people are getting healed. I just prayed for a moose that got hit. It got healed too. But man, my marriage is terrible. That'll never happen. Because that perfect image, that perfect work of God in our life changes every single focus we have, every single issue we have has a, a whole different view when we put it in the view of God, in the lens of God. Here's the next thing for us to think about. You'll see it up on the screen. We were created for God, not ourselves. If I went ahead and, and, and built something, let's say I decided to build a cabin out in the middle of the woods, beautiful creek, feeds into a lake, tons of grayling. And as soon as I got done... And I pull the door shut, and it, it shuts. All of a sudden, it latches, and these things come down around the windows, and I'm not allowed in. And I pull on the door, and the house yells back at me, Nah, I'm good. I got this now. I'm going to go ahead and take care of myself. No, you look at that house, and you're like, I created you. I will destroy you. Open the door. That's never happened to us with our house. Every, everything we create is less than us. We can use that with our kids to manipulate, but it's not good. So it's funny, though. But everything that we're involved in creating is less. Robots, cars, houses, uh, projects, crafts, everything. It's less. And it is for the purpose that we created it. And the only value that it'll ever find is in doing what I got everything together and put together for it to do. It's the same way with God. There is, there is nothing but disappointment in trying to use this, this, and this for anything but what God created it for. There's momentary enjoyment, absolutely. There's times when it's like, wow, this, this kind of seems to be working, and I'm not getting struck by lightning. But that's not how we were designed. I want us to think about something. You'll see a video come up. It's about a five, ten-minute video. But I want us to, to think about this. Some of you may have seen this before if you went to the, the leadership class, but it's a good reminder, uh, this video, um, talking about how we should focus on God being our center. So we'll see that video. So we talk about the fact that we need to be focused on who we were created for. I want to just pull up a, a point Go right into the next point, right after that. Paul's motivation was the same as David Platt just spoke about, was that motivation of God being the one who gets all the glory and, and, and his desires being the ones that drive us. Here's our foundation repair point to think about as we wrap up these four verses. We need to evaluate our lives and, and look at our goals, our passions, our desires, and find out, where, where are they not what God has designed for me? What are the things that, that oftentimes that most frustrate us, that cause us to fall in, or, or spin out of control? It's usually because we've chosen to take on a goal that's not God's, a passion that's not His, and a desire that can never be met. That's, that's really frustrating. The heaviest weights in our life are the weights we put on ourselves, not the ones God puts on us. 
In fact, the ones we put in ourselves can't even be lifted. So the motivation and the drive, we talk about being a God-centered God, a God who lives for His glory, and, and, and we need to do the same. Everybody else, God deserves everybody else's creation and the glory. As we continue in verse 5, Paul uses that transition word, therefore, a classic word that you now have to look back and say, okay, why is that there? But he says, therefore, put to death. Now, how many of you, if you heard that phrase, put to death, you're thinking, oh, he's just kidding. Oh, he means, you know, just put it aside for a little bit. No, he means, you know, just ignore it for a a little bit. No. How many of you remember the movie Gladiator? Anybody? What happens when he does this? Yeah. What happens when the Queen of Hearts, what does she say? Anybody Queen of Hearts? Off with his head. Do they look at her and go, well, like just a little bit, like a nick? No, they're, they're getting the axe out to cut off whoever's head it is. She said, take the head off. Paul says, put to death. That means kill it, gone. If you're a zombie fan, double tap to the head, whatever it is. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he lists off a whole bunch of really cool things. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the things he just listed, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. There's a whole massive history and theological lesson in verse 6 that we can't get into today. Verse 7, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. You walked in that wrath when you lived in those works. Put to death doesn't mean simply a physical act. We'll go into that here for a few minutes. I want us to read real quick. Jesus says something very similar as far as where these drives come from. Because if we're going to be getting rid of a tree, how many of you have a battle with a cottonwood or have had a battle with a cottonwood in your yard before? Anybody? Yeah, what happens? You, you cut it down, and all of a sudden it sprouts up like 37 other little trees that shoot up. And, and so you go, and you cut those back, and you cut those back. What is the only way to get rid of it? You call Scott, he gets his backhoe, and he digs it out of your yard, and then you have a pond. That's what you do. You have to dig out that root, or that junk is going to constantly come up, constantly come up, constantly come up. It, it, Paul doesn't say here, knock it out. He doesn't say give it a KO punch because what happens? Eventually the person comes to and then they come and get you. We're not just simply supposed to hurt the things that hurt us. They're supposed to be dead and gone. We don't just strip the leaves. We dig it out by the root. Jesus was speaking. You'll see here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus was speaking and drew on these things of where these problems come from. He says a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the fruit of the branches. It comes from the root of what it is. And we'll see here in the next verse, it says, you can tell each tree by the kind of fruit it bears. People do not pick figs from thorns, and they don't pick grapes from bushes. Next. The good man says good things. These come from the good that is put away in his heart. An evil man says evil things. These come from the evil that is put away in his heart. Their mouths say everything that is in their hearts. To go a little bit further, all of that stuff that's in us 
It comes out. And it doesn't matter how good I try and sound, how good I try and look, how good I try and smell. If we're stinky, it comes out. It's a problem. So one of the things that when we think about digging out the issues... I want us to look at something here because there's a temptation. You'll see the foundation prayer. You can put that point up there. There's a temptation to get caught in thinking, I'm just going to cut down the tree, and it's good, and we walk away. But no, we need to actively be actively killing the root of our sinful behaviors, not constantly just saying, oh, I just need to stop doing that. Because if I'm trying just to stop being bad, that isn't getting to the root of the issue. The first temptation in the garden was to say, don't look at the spiritual implications. Don't look at the eternal weight of the situation. I want you to look at the physical. The commands that God gave started as spiritual, but the immediate mistranslation of the words of God by the tempter in the garden was to look at the physical. And then we see a pattern of thousands of years of constantly, completely missing it. I remember having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks back, and they said, well, wait a second, you're talking, you know, no physical or whatever. What about the Ten Commandments? Aren't those things you have to do? I said, they're evidences of the inside problem. You should have no other gods before me. No idolatry. No murder. No adultery. All of that stuff starts on the inside. And he says that if he can't control himself physically, don't do it physically either. But to define adultery as simply the physical act is missing the point of that sin. It starts far deeper and far sooner. And you'll see on the next point here, we're talking about foundation repair and foundation problems. The outward sins, the things on the outside, those are evidence of an inward foundation problem. There are evidences of that. So as we go through and look at some more of these lovely traits that Paul lists off that should not be in our life, we can't look at them in the sense of, you're right, pastor, I'm bad. That's not the issue. The issue is there's something in me that's the old man, the old woman, that needs to be dug out so that God can be in there and work that. I want us to also realize that sin like a person walking around in an Alaskan winter, sin is often in layers in our life. Sin on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin, until we get to the root. And then we say, that's what was motivating it. We had a conversation with someone just the other night, and they said, yeah, this person I know is so angry. You mentioned the word church or God. And, you know, their faces red, their blood pressure's up. They, they can't stand it. Well, then all of a sudden, this history of church abuse comes in and this history of families that they were related to abusing them and, and using God to lie and, and get these people out of court cases and all this different stuff. And I'm thinking, well, of course, if I was that hurt, I would hate it too. But we can look at it and say, don't hate church, that's bad. No. No, what's bad is, is that hurt that was never dealt with by the love of Christ. That's what's bad. So sin is often in layers, and, and, and the Holy Spirit working on us, and that daily activity of peeling away those layers of an onion, peeling away till we get to the heart, and the tender spot that we're protecting. And we give that to God. So when you read verse 5, you have all these things that, that he's listing, and, and some of it's hard because it's using language we don't use today. How many of you looked at your, your kids or a friend of yours and says, hey, don't use that uncleanness around me? We don't use those words. 
So, so here's some things to think about that he's getting at here. I'm going to go real quick through it. They're not even points on the screen, just something to think about. He says the word sexual immorality or fornication. What that is, simply put, it's sexual gratification outside of God's prescription for it. Remember, God designed us for his glory with his purpose. If I use what he gave me outside of what he prescribed, there are no blessings in it. There's nothing there for me. In fact, there's only hurt at some point in time. Uncleanness. Actually, you know what it is? This is a life that's seeking pleasure of the senses as a chief goal. A word we use today is hedonism, that pleasure is the ultimate goal, the pinnacle of the human existence. Lustful passion is now hedonism becoming our only drive. That it's, we can't stop thinking about it. In fact, we get to a point where that passion grows. It, it, the, the phrase here is a growing and a constant controlling passion and drive where everything we think, everything we want becomes pragmatic, where the end of my pleasure is all that matters and it doesn't matter how I get there. That phrase, lustful passion. Next, you have the words here, uh, evil desire and covetousness. Another word is greediness. Evil desire here is thinking, feeling, or acting on a desire that is forbidden. I remember we were doing a... I got warned by a friend of mine when I was in London years ago. And he said, at the time I was considering marrying Kelly. We, weren't, we were just dating at the time. And I was talking with a friend of mine. And he said... Um, don't tell any of the, the people that we would meet in this pub or this area, whatever, that you're engaged or involved with a woman or, or married or whatever. He said, because that, then you become a target. They'll start to come on to you. They'll start to do all these different things. It was, it was this exact situation where if it's untouchable and it's wrong, it's forbidden, then it's even more exciting to go after. It's even more exciting to do. And there's a thrill that it's a drive. It becomes a drug almost. Next, the word greediness in some of your translations or covetousness, that strong desire, that constant desire for what we don't have more and more and more and more placing it on the throne where God should be in our life. And then forcing, God, you should work through this, which is what idolatry is. It's placing something where God is involved and saying, boom, now you do what I say. That's what idolatry is. See, here's what I want us to close with on this section. Foundation repair. We were not built for our pleasure. We weren't built for our pleasure. We were built for His pleasure. We were built for Him to be glorified and excited and blessed by us. We're built for His pleasure. I remember, uh, I, I think I even said this last week, I can't get this phrase out of my mind when we have the wrong focus on this and we say, well, I'm not happy and this is hard. Foundation repair, we're not built for our pleasure. We're not built for our happiness. We would stop thinking that life is going to be easy. Maybe it wouldn't feel so hard. We were built for his pleasure and glory. And if I don't enjoy it, that's not my call. That's his. And if I am enjoying it, he still deserves the glory and honor for all that. I still should go to him and praise him in all times. See, verse 6 talked about the wrath of God coming. Interesting. This wrath, he doesn't say, was targeted against us. That sons of disobedience is shadowed all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, the original sinners, the spiritual beings that rebelled, that we follow their patterns. Verse 7 
talks about in which we once walked. But then I love verse 80. He says, but now you must put off all these. And he goes into another lovely list. But here's, here's something I want to think about before we get into that. And I want us to think this. If we are in Christ, and he says this in verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, the next point is this. What we were isn't what we are. We have to realize that. That's not a, a churchianity, uh, a Christianese kind of thing that I want us to see here. We need to realize that what we were is not what we are. Now, that happens to come into play when we start getting down and frustrated and disappointed and low self-esteem and all those different traits that come in because we have a misinterpretation of what we really are in Christ. The other side of it comes with ignoring the fact that we are Christ's and these practices in our life should not be what we're wallowing in and hanging out in. That it should be 100% about His desires, His goal, His mission, His passion. We've got a lot of plans. Some of us are great at planning. And some of us planned ourselves right out of God being able to use us. Verse 8, he starts this list. He says, but now you must put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds. See, you'll see this point up there. Life with Jesus, it's a different occupation. We're not the mason that, he had a, that we were before. We need to put away the tools of our old life, and we need to pick up the tools of the new life. There's, there's a situation at some point where we're new and we're different, and we've got to throw that away. We've got to put that away. It has to be gone. That life with Jesus is completely different. I don't have my props up here. I had three different ideas for props. I didn't bring them. I didn't have time. I was too busy enjoying a great Father's Day morning. But it it is different. And that's what Paul's trying to get across here with them. He's trying to get them to see that things don't work the same in Christ. If they did, then what's the point? That's what he says. He says, he says if all this is just for vain, what, what, why? Why do we do this? Why do we go through any of this? If it's the same, why do we mess with this at all? But it is different. It's a different location. It's a different vocation. It's a different passion. It's a different drive. Here's what I want us to think about. It's a good action point for us. It's a foundation repair where we talk about we have to constantly, constantly remember that things work differently in the kingdom of God. They work differently. I was praying this Friday, something simple, something that was on my heart. You, some, half of you may have not even noticed it, but uh, with the worship service two Sundays ago, all the sound was messed up in the speakers. There were issues going on. Couldn't figure out what it was. I wasn't going to mess with it during the week. I'm praying on Friday. I'm like, oh, man, weekend's almost here. I'm not sure when Jolie's going to be able to come here and check it all out. I really need the full band to be here to fix the sound, to find out what all the issues are. I'm done praying, and God just said, do you want to try and fix this, Joe, or do you want me to take care of it? And I go, okay, God, you got it. hour later, I get a text from Jolie. Hey, Joe, you cool if the, the band practices at 1 o'clock today? And I said, absolutely. That's a complete answer to prayer that I had earlier. It's just something simple like that. I was like, okay, Joe, that's a coincidence. No. Okay, worship practice happens on Wednesdays or Thursdays, not Fridays at 1. 
Okay? It's not a coincidence. God was already taking care of it. He didn't need me. He wanted me to focus on doing what he told me to do and trusting him. Well, that's just kind of simple. I don't care what it is. If God's big enough for any of those things, he's big enough for all of it. If he can execute and move one little thing in outside of time and space and control that one little thing, I think he can move all the other little dials in our lives too. There's a lot of things we get focused on. We need to remember that it doesn't work the same here. In the world that's controlled by other gods, not our creator, we can affect the physical and make our lives happen a certain way for a period of time. And then what happens? We have to go back and try and do it again and try and do it again and try and do it again. And we have to do it harder. We have to do it stronger. We have to find new ways to do it. Now we have to bring people along with us. We need bigger drugs and bigger cars and bigger bottles of wine and bigger whatever to try and control those situations. But with God, it never works that way. He says, my, my working in your life is so massive, you've only got to have a tiny bit of it. And mountains move. That's what he's talking about. You just, you just need a little bit of me affecting your life, like the size of a mustard seed, a little grain. And mountains move out of the way. That's the God we're working with. That's the kingdom we're talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. I want to skip over uh, one point. We're going to go to the next foundation repair. But I want to read verse 9 and 10 before we go there. It says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. See, we can't let any of the old life hang around, hold on, be part of what our new life is. You'll see the foundation repair point up there. He says, realistically, he says, take it all off. It has to all go. We can't sit and try and hide this one spot from our God. Can you imagine, honestly, just be really raw and straightforward with you. Can you imagine you have, you have waited to be involved with this, this person that you're marrying, but they say, you know what, I'm not going to take my clothes off. I'm just going to wear a robe. Is that marriage going to start off healthy? No, because they're trying to hide something, and there is real hurt out there. I'm not minimizing that at all. There's real hurt out there that we try and hide and cover, and we do it with our God first. When he says take it all off, take every bit of your old man off, you can't do it. You've already proven you can't do it. That's why you came to me. Why are you putting it back on? I'm the solution or I'm not, is what he says. God's not a 50%. We would never expect that in a marriage or a friendship. It's like, hey, let's do lunch. Yeah, I'm only going to be able to show up 50% of the time. I'm going to say I will, but I'm only going to show up half the time. How long are you going to be friends with that person? I'm not going to lunch the first time. I'm just not. God wants all of us, and he, he won't mishandle it. We won't be wanting Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Remember, it talks about in the image of who created him. We've been renewed 
We've got the new man on. And then in Jesus, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, none of these religious groups, none of these national groups, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. It has nothing to do with whatever we claim, who we say we are, who we think we are, what color our skin is, what our accent is, who we were born with, who our family is. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do Christ. It's all about Christ, he says in verse 11. Like we started out in this series, Jesus, he is all that. It's all about him. And when we talk about you know, this, this, this physical thing trying to change us, we think, okay, 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 I got it. I'm just going to stop doing the bad things that he said because it says put off the old and, and, and I'm going to do that. Well, we miss the point because he says that we have to put on something. So here's the foundation repair for us to think about. You'll see it in there. It's related to stopping a bad thing. See, just stopping a bad thing doesn't make good things happen. Just stopping the wrong thing doesn't make the right things automatically happen. We, we have to choose. And the reason I say that is that is a picture of repentance. Repentance says this. I'm going to stop going this direction. I'm going to turn from that. We still haven't repented yet, by the way. I'm just ignoring this end now. And then I'm going to walk in the new way. We can't just stop going one way because we're still looking at the sin. We can't just turn from that because now we're just ignoring the sin. We have to go into the path that God has ordained for us in the first place. We have to be focused on that in the first place. You guys remember when we talked a few weeks back that most of the time sin is rooted in a God-given desire being met in a man-given way. A God-given desire, a God-given gifting, being met by my flesh in some way. Because it's all rooted in our own desires. And when that desire finally comes to fruition, or is born, as James talks about, boom, sin is the baby. But it comes from our own desires that were innocent first. As we keep reading in verse 12, there's a big list now of what we need to put on. He says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering. Another word to say there is patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. How about that one? That's a fun one. How did Christ forgive us? Without us ever asking without us ever apologizing, without us ever stopping the sin, he forgave us. That changes our mindset. Yeah, but you have no idea, Pastor, how they hurt me. Go talk to Jesus, because you'll never one-up him. Listen, you have no idea. Billions of people curse my name, and I still said I love you and forgive you. Quit your whining. Forgive the person that was a jerk. And I say that because that's what I've heard many times in my own life. The key is, the Christian's base layer, we're talking about the, the layers of us as Christians, the Christian's base layer, it's, it's unconditional give a care. He says, put on love and, and unconditionally forgive like Christ forgave. It's it's that, that base of who we are so that everything that comes out of us through the layers in our life is love. 
I'm not talking mushy, gushy Hollywood love. I'm talking real love. Real love that actually has the guts to say, you know what? You're wrong, but I'll show you what's right. The love that says, you know what? I want to go out of my way to help you with this. You know what? I know what you said here, and I forgive you for it. I know what you've done, and I forgive you for it. The saddest message that I hear all over the place. We just met with some awesome families last night. Don't even go to this church. Don't even go to church. And the resounding message that they tell us is that, and, and several of them grew up here in the valley, is that every church that they've gone to, every time they've experienced supposed Christians, they never hear the message of forgiveness. They never hear the message of grace. They hear, you're not going to church, and so you're going to hell. What? No. Absolutely not. It's not about church. If it was, then we would meet 24-7 every day. We meet here at this building to be filled and empowered to be absolute wrecking balls for Christ all week. And then we come here and fill up the tank again and encourage each other and fellowship with each other. And I love being here every week, but it is not for Sunday. Today is for Monday to Saturday. That's what Sunday is for. It's not for today. We don't fill up our gas tank for that moment. We fill up the gas tank for the three, four, five, six hundred miles we're going to drive on it. That's why we fill up our gas tanks. Here's what I want us to close with as we read a few more verses to close this out. He says in verse 14, but above all these things, put on agape. The unconditional give a care, which is the bond of perfection. In other words, there would be completeness. There is nothing more complete that holds us together than an unconditional give a care for those around us. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. That means that we need to take the time to be next to someone that we can teach. That we need to take the time to be next to someone that we can spur on and say, hey, dude, get over yourself. Let's go. we got work to do. We can't do that alone. We can't do it on our own where we can say, I'm going to fulfill the Scriptures alone. It is impossible, impossible to be a 100% obedient Christian and be alone. It's impossible. No such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. It can't happen. It's an incomplete Christian. We'd be admonishing and teaching each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Praise God we get to do that every Sunday together and on prayer and praise night. And here's, here's the kicker that we're going to close on. You can underline, circle, big, big marker around this. And what's that word there? Whatever you do word or deed. He has this list of all these things that we should do and not do. And then he says, whatever you're doing, here's the test. Whatever you're doing in word or deed, do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's our test. Here's what I want to close with, the test that I want us to think about. Let's say this list of do's and don'ts is frustrating and it's a put off. Let me simplify it. Look at our life. And everything we do, stop for one second and say, would I stamp Jesus' name on it and say, Jesus approved? That's, that changes our decision-making process. Don't you dare text me saying, which one should I order at Burger King, Joe? Which one's Jesus approved? None of them are. So 
order it. He doesn't care. The real things in life, he's saying here, Paul's saying, listen, you're in Christ. You're in Jesus. Your entire life is made up by your life inside of him. Everything that I do, everything that you do is in him. So when I choose to do something, I say, Jesus approves this. Does he? When I choose to say something, I say, Jesus approves this message. Treat it like a political ad for yourself. I'm Jesus, and I approve Joe's message. Can God say that about our lives? Well, now I don't feel good about it, Joe. Stop having a pity party, and let's put on the new. We know what to do. This isn't a matter of finding out how bad we are. This is a matter of identifying the areas that aren't part of us anymore. They're not ours anymore. In the spiritual world, it's kind of embarrassing. We're walking around with toilet paper stuck to our shoe. And God says, put off the old man. No, no, it's, it's cool these days. No, it's not. Toilet paper stuck to our shoe is never cool. Put it off. I'm going to close in prayer. You can put your Bibles away. While we're praying, here's what I want us thinking about. I think of, was it Brian Adams? Everything I do, I do it for you. Here's the quote, whatever we do, make it about Jesus first. Every decision that I make, does it make Jesus look good with my actions here? Does the message of Jesus get out because I'm making this decision for my time and my talents and my possessions right now? Does the name of Jesus get out from that? Maybe I'm choosing to change some things in my time or my schedule or my, my availability or, or the people I hang out with. Will I be more available for Jesus because of this or do I remove the ability to be available for Jesus because of this? Is me doing this showing I trust in Jesus? or that I trust in me, or that I trust in a system, or that I trust in a people. As we close, I want us to pray. If anyone wants to pray with me too, well, first off, be raised with Christ because without him, none of this is possible and it's a depressing sermon without Christ. If you want to commit to Christ for the first time or recommit to Christ, while every head's bowed, you can raise your hand and I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Amen. Now that man, the old man can be put off. And I love it from the sermon two weeks ago. It was a very vivid picture of cutting off. It's gone. Chuck that trash bag away. Here's the next thing I want to ask before we pray. How many of us, God showed us something we need to take off? Or God showed us something we need to put on? Raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you also this morning. Amen. 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 Anyone else before? Amen. 
God, I want to put off this old man, this old woman. I got to get rid of this. And God, help me to put it off and then put you on, God. Scripture says that we're not desiring to be unclothed bodies or disembodied spirits, but we're desiring that new man that you promised us. God, give us that. Help us to be that new creation. Whatever it is that you showed us, God, help us to put it off. And God, help me to be that new man. I'm sorry for going back to the old man. I'm sorry for reattaching the foolishness of of what was dead and what you died for, God. Forgive me. I want to be used by you, God. In Jesus' name.